Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 19, we began uh, over a month ago a lesson and um, got a little ways into it and then time ran out and then when we came back the next week, I got off into a different subject. We spent about three weeks, I think, three or four, talking about the time of war. But uh, we're going back tonight to that lesson that we began, uh, I think the first part of last month, and we're going to pick up on some things. I will do a little bit of a review because it has been a while, but um, we're going to go deeper with that tonight. And I'm feeling this tonight. I really am. I, I believe the Lord knew what he was doing when he put this on my heart. I've, I've talked about how that I felt impressed to start the first of the year on Sunday mornings doing basically a new converts course. I believe that's proven to be right. And I also felt like taking our midweek services and focusing on separation. And um, we are working on our next book, and this will be one of the chapters of that book. But I really feel like that God knew what he was doing when he impressed me to do this. And uh, I believe it's in the perfect will of the Holy Ghost for me to do what I'm doing. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 19, the Bible says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard. When the enemy comes in, God has a way of fighting the enemy. And the way he fights the enemy, it begins with the lifting of a standard. We've talked about what all of that means, the significance of it. We'll deal with it again just briefly. But that is my subject for tonight. This lesson is a part of the series of Understanding Separation. And this is Lifting a Standard Part 2. Lifting a Standard. Praise God. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands and lift your voices? And let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. I want Him to speak to hearts. I want Him to grant revelation and understanding in this service tonight. Let's everybody talk to the Lord together. Jesus' name, would you just praise him one more time, everybody? Let's praise the Lord together. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now we, in, in beginning this lesson, uh, I started talking to you uh, about not necessarily the need for standards. We dealt with that in the last lesson. Uh, in lesson three, uh, we, we dealt with that. But, but now what I've begun to talk about is why we set standards and how we set standards. Uh, I've talked about the importance of setting them, but uh, I've, I've pointed out to you that standards are an essential form of protection for the people of God. And they should be viewed as protection for the people of God. Should not be something that we dread or something that we despise or something that we resent. In fact, I, I, I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you know, I was thinking this week, Brother Hilton, when I think back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, and God gives them a garden. It's a lush garden. It's, it is a garden that is not even requiring man's assistance. God's taking care of it. And, and God provides it for them. And, and, and God waters the grass each morning. And, and God doesn't allow any thorns or thistles to grow there. And God's given them everything. And, and, and He has filled this garden with all kinds of nourishment and, and all kinds of good things. And, and, and you know, a lot of times we don't even focus on the fact that in this garden there was the tree of life. Instead, we get focused on the one tree that God forbade them to eat from. And unfortunately, that's exactly what Eve did. Now, I want you to think about this. They can eat from any tree in this garden. I don't know how you are. I love fruit. I'm telling you, I love fruit. And um, if I thought I could do it, I'd be growing apple trees and orange trees. And I, I, if I thought I could succeed at it, but I, I, I can't even succeed at growing weeds. I, I just, just, just give it up. But I'm telling you, to me, there's nothing like being able to walk out there to an apple tree and pick a fresh apple and eat it straight off the tree. Getting an orange off the tree. You know, being able to go out and just eat the goodness of this fruit that's growing all around you. But instead of all of the good things that are available and all of the nourishment that's there, and all of the sustenance that's being provided, Eve is focused on this one tree that God said no. And listen to me, if we're not careful, we can let the devil do the same thing to us. That we get so focused on the no's. That we can't even enjoy all that God has given us. Instead of coming to church and enjoying the moving of the Holy Ghost, we're sitting there fretting over some standard. 
We're looking at the one tree God says no, and we're upset because we can't eat that one tree when he gives us so much. There's so much we can have. There's so much we can enjoy. There's so much that will bless us. There's so much that will take care of us. Why do we want to focus on something we can't have? Lord, help us, Jesus. But that's the way, that's the, way the devil works. And he'll keep your eyes so glued on that one tree that you can't have. Why can't I have it? What's wrong with that one? Why is it wrong to eat from that one? I'll tell you why. Because God said so. Doesn't matter whether you like it or not. God said so. Doesn't matter if you understand it or not. God said so. And that settles it. But the devil always comes along and says, now did God really say? And in, in that again, that's how he works, isn't it? Well, now is that really what the Bible means? That's the same old lie he's been telling since the very beginning. You know what? Even if that's not what the Bible means, why can't we just give something up and be happy living for God? Heaven is going to be cheap at any price. And I promise you, if I get to heaven and God looks at me and says, that's not what that verse means. You didn't have to do that. I am not going to regret it, Brother Hall. I'm not going to sit there and fret and shed tears and say, oh God, I sure missed it. Think of all the enjoyment I could have had in my years on earth if I'd have just known I could get by with that. No, I'm going to be so glad to be in heaven, I don't care what I missed out on. It's not going to matter to me. Take this whole world. Just give me Jesus. I'll be happy. I'll be happy. So, so we, we talked about the importance of standards. And then, and then we, 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 we talked about the fact that, you know, if, if somebody just sets arbitrary standards, it, it brings confusion in the church. And sometimes, especially new folks, they think that's exactly what's going on, that the church just picks some random standard. In fact, I'm telling you, I'm hearing it more and more the older I get, especially from younger generations, where there's no Bible for that. There's no Bible for that. When there is Bible for it. And just because you haven't taken the time to search the scriptures for yourself doesn't mean it's not there. But I'm determined that I'm going to do my best when, when we have standards that we uphold, uh, uphold and, and expect in this assembly, I'm going to do my best as a pastor to explain those standards to you. I don't expect people to just follow blindly. I really don't. I never have. Because I believe honest-hearted people will do those things which they understand. And I think they'll do it far more readily if they understand it. 
And so I want to take time to explain to you the setting of standards and the standards that we have set. And we'll do that in the weeks to come. Tonight, I want to focus on how standards are set. And this is where we started last week, uh, or not last week, in the last part of this lesson. Uh, we, we, we started giving you six ways that standards are set. Six ways standards are set. Now, we only got as far as the first one. And we're going to try to get through as many of the remainder as we can tonight. Um, but the first one that we, we laid out for you, and, and listen to me, there's a reason I present them in this order. And, and it's crucial that you hear me say this. Because we're going to get down to some ways that standards are set further down the line. That if people put those above the others, you're going to get things all out of whack. So first and foremost, standards are set by the Word of God. Everyone say the Word of God. The Word of God sets standards. There are certain things that the Scripture simply states. God hates this. God loves this. Do this. Don't do this. And if the Word of God says it, that settles the matter. There's nothing else in this list of, of the setting of standards, there's nothing else that tops that. If it's stated in the Word of God, it's settled. Again, whether you like it or don't like it, whether you understand it or don't understand it, doesn't matter. If the Bible says it, that is a set standard. And nobody has the authority to bypass or overthrow or change the standard that God sets in His Word. The Word of God is the mind of God. The Word of God expresses the will of God. It reveals the history of the way God has dealt with man. And so we come to know how God thinks concerning the issues of life when we study His Word. And when we understand how he feels about the issues of life, then we begin to comprehend some of these standards. God is truth. And therefore there's a standard against falsehood. God is life. So there's a standard against murder. Right? You, you, you start understanding how God views things from the pages of His Word. And then certain standards come into play. Now even beyond those generics, there are certain things that the Bible specifically says you are not to do. We're not going to get into all those tonight. And again, this part is just review of the last uh, uh, time that I taught on this a month ago um, but, but there are specific things and we'll deal with some of those in the weeks to come but I'm going to show you in black and white where the Bible says don't do this and, and when the Bible says that there's, there's no give 
There's no negotiating. It's settled. God's word is forever settled in heaven. Right? Right? Forever settled. So people say, well, but it's 2023. You're trying to live like little house on the prairie. That might not be a bad thing. But anyhow, I'm telling you, God's not shocked that it's 2023. God is not, he didn't wake up and say, oh man, the time sure has flown. I never dreamed we'd get here. Everything God put in his word, he put it there knowing we'd still be around in 2023. And God did not put an expiration date on anything in his word. Did you hear me? There is no shelf life for the scripture. If it was wrong before, it's wrong today. Lord, I got, I got to, I, I'm not going to get anywhere if I don't move on, but all of this that's coming to me. I mean, honestly, we live in such a, a crazy world. And, and, you know, today the cry is, well, I was born this way. And so you think that excuses you? Now, first of all, I really don't think some people are born the way they say they're born. But be that as it may, if I grant them that, guess what? I was born in sin. There were certain proclivities I was born with. But that doesn't make them right. And just because you might have been born that way, quote unquote, doesn't mean God authorizes it. I was born a liar, but God says don't lie. Well, hallelujah. I can go on down the line here tonight. So don't tell me, well, I was born this way and therefore it's all right. No. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And what you need is to be born again. Maybe you were born that way the first time, but the first time's not going to get you into heaven. you got to be born again. And I promise you, when you're born again, you're not going to be born transgender. When you're born again, you're not going to be born homosexual. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm feeling too good tonight. So the Word of God sets standards. And again, I want to stress to you that as I go through the other ways that standards are set, none of them can contradict, violate, or supersede this first one. If God's Word has set a standard, it is forever settled. I mentioned that. Let's read it in Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You know what? You can move up here to the front now. We had two men. We, had, we didn't have room for both of you up front. <laughs> Brother Goff chose to move off and leave us. And I'm still holding a grudge, but I'll, I'll get over it at some point. 
Glad to have them in service tonight. Uh, the family here tonight. We love them dearly. We really are happy for them. I, I know they know I'm teasing. But, but anyhow, so, you know, we had to, we had to split the, the space. But you're up here by yourself now. You can, you can move on up. You got a promotion. I want to make sure you're not playing chess while I'm trying to read my scriptures here tonight. Well, praise God. All right, calling all minds. Let's get back on this. Scripture, Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord. Forever, word, O Lord. Thy word thy is, word settled, in is settled in heaven. Now, some of you are wondering about that. That does not say lamed. Um, that word is lamed. That is the Hebrew letter L. Psalm 119 is broken up by the Hebrew letters. In, in most Bibles, if you open your Bible, you'll see that there are groups of scriptures in Psalm 119, and they start with Aleph. And then bait and on it. It just goes down the list, the Hebrew alphabet, and just dividing it up. And in the Hebrew, this group of scripture starts with that letter. So in the Hebrew, the first word here starts with the letter Lamed, which is the equivalent of our L. But anyhow, that's a side note. That's, but that's what it is. I just didn't want you to look up there and say, what's that word lamed all about? Um, it's not lamed. But... So Psalm 119 verse 89 says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So, so that's settled. And nothing else, no other method of setting standards can violate, contradict, or supersede this one. If it's in the word, it's settled. Now, the second way, and now we move on. This is, this is new material tonight. So the second way that standards are set, after they are set by the Scripture. There are some things that we deal with in today's society that are not specifically named in the Scripture. And yet they have to be addressed. And so how do we go about setting standards for those things? For instance, what about cigarettes? There's no scripture that says anything about cigarettes. But we have a standard. How do we set those standards? Well, today it's a little easier. But there's something that you need to know. That when people first started smoking cigarettes, the fact is that, that, that people did not know that nicotine was a carcinogen. They didn't know that smoking caused cancer. And yet, they preached against it. With, now, now today, we'll, we could pull up a scripture about defiling the temple of God. But when they preached against it, they couldn't use that because they didn't know it was defiling the temple of God. 
Are you with me? So how did they set a standard against it? I want to tell you how. Praying men were moved on by the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God set a standard. Everyone say the Spirit of God. So number one, the Word of God sets a standard. But number two, the Spirit of God can set standards. The Spirit of God can bring about what we call conviction. And convict us of certain things that we may not be able to point to black and white, this is wrong. But the Spirit says, this is not good for your walk with God. In fact, we're, we're home folks tonight. I, I, can, I can speak a little bit more freely. Can I tell you the same thing happened with our forefathers with the invention of television? When our forefathers took a stand against television, they, they couldn't use the same scriptures we use today. Today, we will tell you, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. They couldn't use that. Because television was highly governed. The fact is that in my childhood, way back, way back, way back, when the world was black and white, before Technicolor came on the scene, there were actually a group, there was a group of censors. There were only three networks. And these three networks had a board of censors. Now this almost sounds like a joke. It's not a joke. But it was made up of a Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, and, and uh, I think a Baptist minister. That's, no, that's true. Uh, that's not a joke. I'm serious. Those three made up this board of censorship. And they determined what could go out across the airwaves. So as to not be offensive to the morals of America. There was no cussing on television. In fact, most of you, this, this sounds so foreign, but it was, a, it was a major explosion in our nation. When the movie Gone with the Wind allowed them to use a four-letter word, one four-letter word in the entire movie. That one four-letter word, I don't give a blank. That one word was said one time in a movie, and the nation exploded with fury over it. We've come a long way. But I'm telling you that back in my day, I remember the old sitcoms. I, you know, I wasn't born into an apostolic family. I remember I love Lucy. And Lucy and her husband slept in separate twin beds divided by a nightstand. They were not even allowed to be shown in the same bed as a married couple on television when I was a child. 
wasn't allowed. Now, married couples are still sleeping in separate beds. But with other partners. It's, it's a different world out there. But, but here's my point. In fact, old brother E.L. Holly, I heard him make a statement one time. He said when he was a kid, he said he would go to the movies and watch Roy Rogers. And he said the only kissing that was allowed on screen was when Roy Rogers kissed his horse. There was not even any public display of affection allowed on the screen. That's how strict it was. And yet our forefathers got up and preached against it. On what basis? Set no wicked thing before your eyes. What was wicked? What was evil about it? They didn't really have a scripture. But what they did have was a conviction. There's something about this that's going to lead us down the wrong path. And they got up and they preached against it. And it proved to be a wise decision. The Spirit of God led them in setting that standard. Now today, we, as I said, we can look back and we can apply scriptural principle and say, oh yeah, it fits the scripture. But back then they didn't have it. The only thing they had to go by was the Spirit of God. Now again, let me tell you, the Spirit of God is never going to contradict the Word of God. The Spirit's not, like I had one woman say one time, she said, well, the, the, the Holy Ghost told me it's okay for me to smoke. No. A Spirit might have told you that, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. But when there are areas where the Word of God is not specific, we've got to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. There's, there's got to be something in us. This desire to live for Jesus has got to be so strong in us that the Spirit of God can prompt our heart and say, you know, that's not good. Something about that is just not good. It's going to lead you in the wrong direction. It's going to take you down a path you're going to regret. We've got to allow the Spirit to lead us. There are people, there are people that the Spirit convicts them because certain activities or certain things will, would, would draw them into... Uh, a, a, Sinful behavior. And we've got to be sensitive enough to allow the Spirit of God to set some standards. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of as God. As many as are led by the Spirit. Yes. Now let me ask you, this thing that you just really want to do. That the church preaches against. Is the Spirit leading you to do that? Is the Spirit leading you to do that? I don't think so. I think that's your flesh. In fact, I know that's your flesh. 
Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 25, you skipped one. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Checkmate. Oh, hallelujah. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God's got to be able to set some standards. The Spirit of God has got to be able to set some standards. We must be led by the Spirit. Now you can read Galatians 5.25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. All right. So the Word of God, everyone say the Word of God. Number two, the Spirit of God. Everyone say the Spirit of God. Now the third way that standards are set, and again this is a third way, will not contradict the first two, should not contradict the first two. The Word of God sets standards, the Spirit of God sets standards, and the man of God sets standards. Exodus chapter 19, verses 12 and 13. Listen to this. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it is beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. All right, now, a couple things you need to notice. First of all, God made it clear there's some places you're not supposed to go. Right. But secondly, this is what God says. God told Moses to come up on the mountain. And he said, now, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to set a boundary around that mountain. Have you ever seen a mountain? Mountains don't don't look like the way we drew them in first grade. Right? If, if, if a first grader draws a mountain, he's got this flat earth and then a 45 degree angle coming up. And I mean, you can point right to the vertex right there. That's where the mountain starts. But they don't start that way. It's hard to know where the mountain starts. It's not an easy task to determine where is the beginning of this mountain. Amen. But this much I know, God said if anybody touches it, they're going to die. Yes. So whatever Moses did, he had to be extremely careful. He couldn't go halfway up the mountain and say, I'm going to set the fence here. Or a lot of people were going to die. He didn't have the authority to just randomly choose. But he had to, with the best of his ability, determine, here's the boundary. We don't go any further than this. And I'm telling you that every pastor has to have the authority to determine where the bounds are going to be if the Bible's not specific. When it comes to things like 
women cutting their hair or wearing pants. Those things, I don't have any authority over. Those things are settled. But the Bible does address that we should, we should wear modest apparel. And, and there's no clear definition for what's modest. And so somebody's got to set a fence. This is one of those mountains that it's hard to determine when you cross the line between modest and immodest. But somebody's got to make that decision. And somebody's got to build that fence. Somebody's got to set that bound. And that's the job of the pastor. And, and listen, church, this is, this is why you go from one church to the next and you see differing standards. You shouldn't think that's strange. Because different men are setting the boundary in different places. Now again, if the Bible says don't do it, and a man sets a boundary that allows you to do it, that's wrong. There, there is no give or take on that one. But if it's something like modest apparel, different men might define modesty in different ways. I think at least in today's society, there are some things we could all agree are immodest. I don't think any of us would say a bikini is modest. Although some people wear just about as little clothing or reveal about as much. But my point is simply this. Somewhere, somebody's got to say, this is where we draw the line. When it comes to things like sleeve lengths and skirt lengths and necklines and hemlines and, you know, those kinds of things, you're going to see differences. But this is where it's important that you know who your pastor is. You go off somewhere else and they've got a different fence. Don't sit around and just question, well, why can't we move our fence to that point? Because the fence has got to be set for the safety of the entire congregation. You might be able to handle getting that close. But there may very well be somebody else in the congregation who can't. And the best thing is to just draw the line for everybody. Well, that's not fair to me. Look, if you love your brother or sister, you don't care about being fair. You care about people being saved. And so lines have got to be drawn. Fences have got to be erected. Things have got to be set. Bounds must be established. And Moses was given that job. And it falls the responsibility of the pastor to establish certain boundaries. They cannot contradict the word. They cannot contradict the spirit. But outside of those two things, 
the pastor's got to have leeway. I can't set the standard for the church down the road, and they can't set the standard for us. And listen to me, this is one of the problems with, with, with getting on Facebook or YouTube and watching other churches. One of the problems, because you're going to see things that are a whole lot different. And if you're weak, you can be drawn to start questioning, why can't we move the fence? Well, I'm just going to tell you now, I'm the kind of guy, and I've said this before, when it comes to fences and mountain cliffs, I, I, I like to get as far away as I can. My heart literally stopped. We, we took the young people up on Pike's Peak a few years back, and some of those are crawling out on rocks and looking out and saying, dear God, don't do that. I'm about to have a heart attack. I'm not even the one on the rock, but I can't stand to see you out there. Get back away from the edge. I want that fence. I want there to be plenty of safety between me and the drop-off. I don't like playing it dangerous. And so you might see us set some things a little stricter than somebody else, a little tighter than somebody else. And you might see us not as tight in some areas. But this is where the Bible says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. We're not in competition with another church. It's not about what they're allowed to do or not allowed to do. We're talking about this assembly. Amen. Now again, church, please understand, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm just going to be arbitrary and just set a bunch of standards that don't make any sense and it's just my whim and my desire and my likes and dislikes. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I'm saying in the interest of the safety of this congregation, I have to prayerfully consider what is a safe boundary for us in some areas. You know, there, there are churches that, that tell their people not to be on social media at all. None. And that's fine. That's their standard. I've not made that a standard here. But I have set a standard against some forms of social media. There are some kinds I don't think you need to be on. I don't think we belong on TikTok. I, I, there's just, there are several things, and I, I'm not going to go through a whole list, but there are just Snapchat is one of those. And again, I don't want to go through a whole list, but, but, but there are certain things that, that really attract pedophiles, among others. It's where they hang out. And I don't think that's where we belong. So, so yes, somebody else may say no social media and and. That's fine. That's where they set their fence. But just because I don't set the fence there doesn't mean I don't care about you. And the day may come somewhere down the road I may move the fence to that point. But I would only do it through prayer, seeking God, and feeling like it's in the best interest of the assembly. 
Now, some of you individually, I may come tell you, get off. Some of you don't need to be on there. Some of you have got other weaknesses. And one thing leads to another. And you end up in places you should never be. Well, hallelujah. But I promise you, I enter into every standard, every boundary that I have to set. I enter into it prayerfully, thoughtfully. I seek counsel. I I don't just set things arbitrarily. All right? And, And the man of God has to give an account for your soul. I take this job seriously. I take it seriously. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now look, this scripture is very, very clear, and I know a lot of times folks just strictly uh, focus on the first part, obey them that have the rule over you. That's, that, that's just not been my modus operandi. It's, it's just not the way I do things to just hold that scripture over people's heads. But what I do want you to focus on is the latter part of that. That the Bible speaks of those that have rule over you spiritually have to give an account. I'm going to have to answer to God. And I'm going to have to stand before God and tell God whether I preached this to you or I didn't preach this to you. And I'm going to show you that in the next passage of Scripture. But I'm going to have to answer to God for whether I tried to set a standard to protect you or I didn't. Whether I cared for you or was careless about you. And so I've, I take this extremely seriously. Let's, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33 and um, verses 1 through 9. We may only get through this one here tonight. We may not get into part or, or number 4, but, but we'll go as far as we can here. But Ezekiel 33, I want you to listen to this, verses 1 through 9. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, when I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. So, so the watchman sees danger. If when he sees danger for the people, he announces it to the people. Read. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the then trumpet. Then whoever will hear. The sound of the trumpet and taketh not and not obey. If the sword come, if the sword comes and take him and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. The watchman did what he was supposed to do, and you're going to have to answer for yourself. Mm -hmm. Read. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. Right. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow but not the trumpet. But if the watchman sees this danger coming and he doesn't warn the people. And the people be not warned, 
If the sword, if comes, the sword comes and, take any and person takes from among any them, person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. He's taken away in his iniquity. But his blood but will his I require blood at the watchman's will hand. Will I require at the watchman's hand? Do you understand what he's saying? You're not going to be excused. Danger comes and you're harmed. You're destroyed. God's not going to say, well, you didn't hear. You're still going to suffer the consequence. But you're not the only one that's going to suffer. Because God is going to hold me responsible for not warning you. Do you understand how important this is? Do you understand why I can't just sit back and say, everybody do what you please? You're an adult. You make your own choices. Because if I see that something is dangerous to you, it's spiritually harmful, and I don't warn you, God's going to hold me accountable for that. And I'm going to have to answer to God for that. And He's going to require your blood at my hands. Read. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee, have a, set watchman thee a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked men, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, the wic that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thou thy soul. Thou hast delivered thy soul. God has chosen to set me as a watchman over this assembly. And I'm telling you, it's a fearful thing to stand in my position. You know, this is one of the reasons why the other night when we were talking and Somebody said, I could keep going until I'm 83. Dear God. Are you going to keep working until you're 83? Are you really? I'm not. And I want to tell you why. Because the older I get, I, to me, this is, this is too serious a position for me to take any chances with my faculties perhaps not being everything they should be. This is too big of a job. I care too much about you. And I care too much about my own soul. You understand? This is a major thing for me. And I don't take it lightly. I can't afford to make mistakes. Because there are souls in the balance. And that's why I've got to be given the liberty to set some standards. Because if it looks dangerous to me, I've got to be able to tell you, I think there's danger there. Now it may prove later there was no danger there. But at least, at least I tried. At least I cared enough 
to not just let you rush headlong into something. I hope you're getting what I'm trying to tell you tonight. It is important that the pastor be able to set some standards. And so in that regard, let me just tell you now, there may be some things that the Word of God doesn't say, some things that the Spirit of God may not convict you of, but you've got to grant me the latitude as your pastor to be able to say, I don't think this is good. You don't need to do this. Because one day I'm going to answer to God. One day I'm going to look at Him and I'm going to be held responsible for what I allowed you to do. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says this. Take heed therefore, Take heed therefore unto, yourselves, unto yourselves and, to all, the and flock, to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Yes. To feed the church, feed of, the God, church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. You are God's prized possession, paid for with His own blood. You're valuable in the sight of God. Church, that's why it matters to me what I say when I get behind this pulpit. That's why I don't just get up here and I know once in a while I'll have a little fun and, and, and crack a few jokes. It's just who I am. But I can promise you that, that I have done my best to figure out what God wants for every service. If I'm going to stand behind this pulpit, I want to feed the flock of God. You're not my flock. You're His flock. He paid for you with His own life's blood. It matters to me. I care about this position. I care about this church. I care about this job. I care about your future. I care about your eternity. And so it's crucial to me from time to time, and I don't take it lightly, and I don't just set things arbitrarily, and I don't do things just based on my own whims, my own personal likes and dislikes. I do it in the fear of God. If I ever set a standard, I promise you it's because I believe with all of my heart it's a dangerous line for you to cross. The line itself may not be sin. And that's the wrong question. Well, will I go to hell if I do this? That's the wrong question. The question is where does it lead you? How dangerous is it? How big of a risk are you taking? Is it possible that this could get you hooked into something much deeper and much worse? First Peter chapter 5. Now this is a good place to close. I got five minutes till Maggie's hour, so it's a good place to close. Musicians, you can come. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, read. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, now, now listen, Peter's writing, he's been writing just to the church in general, but now he says, I write to the elders that are among you. And that word doesn't mean those of a specific physical age. It is, it is a Greek word that is speaking of those who have spiritual authority. 
They are spiritual elders. Again, has nothing to do with age, has nothing to do with length of service in the kingdom. It is a position of authority. And he says, I'm writing now, I've been writing just to the saints, but let me take a minute and address those of you that are in authority. Here's what he says to us. Feed the flock of Feed God. Feed the flock of God. Which is among you. Which is among you. Taking the oversight. Taking thereof. the oversight thereof. Not by constraint. Not by constraint. But willingly. Not because you're forced to do it. But do it willingly. Not for filthy lucre. And don't do it for money. But of a ready mind. Listen to me. There are times I've had to make stands. That I knew when I made that stand. People who put a lot of money in the church were going to walk out. I had a man many, many years ago, not in this church. Another church that I was pastoring. Came to me very upset. Very upset. He didn't like our worship. Now, his, his income, the, the, the income he provided to the church, the, the giving that he did to the church, probably, at that point, was probably equal to just about everybody else put together. And he sat down in my office and began to explain to me he didn't like the way we worship. Supposed to be Holy Ghost filled, baptized in Jesus' name. He didn't like the way we carried on, and the wild worship, and the loud noise. And he began to lay that out for me that day. And I sat across the desk and listened. And when he finished, I said, my brother, let me tell you something. It was this way before you got here. And if you decide to pack up and take your family and leave today, it's going to be this way after you leave. This is who we are. We're apostolic. We're going to worship this way. Whether you like it or whether you don't. If I am governed by money, I become a hireling. That's what the term means. I've been bought. A hireling was much different than a shepherd. A shepherd that knew those sheep and loved those sheep, he slept with those sheep. He fought for those sheep. He'd lay his life on the line for those sheep. But if he had to make a journey, he couldn't leave the sheep alone. And so he would hire someone. But his hope was, well, he's got that person hired. There's not going to be any wolves or lions or bears. His hope was, everything's going to be peaceful while I'm gone. Because he knew this guy's just getting a paycheck. He doesn't love these sheep the way I love these sheep. He doesn't care about the wealth. All he cares about is that paycheck that's coming. And I can promise you, if the wolf comes in, that hireling's running. He's not laying his life down. That paycheck's not worth that to him. He doesn't care about the flock. 
but to the shepherd. Those sheep are his life. You start understanding the heart of a shepherd when you look at the life of David. You know, sometimes we think, man, how harsh when, when Nathan came in and said, I want to tell you a story about a man that only had one little ewe lamb. And his wealthy neighbor had a huge flock. And his neighbor had a traveler come through. And he decided that in order to feed this traveler, he wasn't going to pull from his flock. He was going to go over and take a sheep from the small flock. Kind of sounds like some of today's churches. Hello? We'll just take it from the small flock. Same spirit. I'll say it again. Same spirit. Beware when somebody starts courting you to come join their flock. Beware. Same spirit. In fact, I got to quit. I know I got to quit. But many years ago, in my home church, we had a man come in and pray through. In fact, his wife, they came in as a result of a phenomenal miracle that happened. And she had, uh, her arm, one of her arms, I don't remember if it was right arm, left arm now, uh, but one of her arms had been paralyzed for 18 years. They were Episcopal. And they had come into a service one night, and the Holy Ghost fell in that service, and standing in the pew, she raised that arm that had been paralyzed for 18 years. God healed her instantly. This man happened to be the most sought-after piano player in all of the nightclubs in Dallas, Texas. They wanted this man. He was phenomenal. And everybody, I mean, he was, he was highly sought after. Well, they came in, received the Holy Ghost, and my pastor, you know, he, doesn't, he, he, he didn't just put people up on the platform just because they had talent. This man is very talented. But he was also brand new. He needed to get established. He needed to learn some things. So my pastor had him just sitting on the pew. Well, there was a family that, that was in the church that got upset about some things, and they left, went across town. And After a while, they called this piano player. And they said, you know, Bob, they said, uh, you're sitting over there in that church doing nothing. You've got all this talent, and you're doing nothing. If you'd come over here to this church, they'll start using you immediately. You can use that talent for God. Why don't you leave that church and come over here with us where you can do something for God instead of sitting on the pew? Now, thank God, Brother Bob had enough wits about him. That his response, he told us later, his response was, let me tell you something. I'm not coming to your church, and here's the reason why. You want me for my talent. Brother Davis wants me for my soul. I'll stay where I am. And he did. And eventually... 
Brother Davis used it. He proved himself. Brother Davis used it. Anyhow, that's another lesson for another night. How did I get off on that? Talking about, we're talking about the hireling. That hireling, I'm talking about David, learning the heart of a shepherd. David, David, so Nathan says, says this, this wealthy man gets this one little ewe sheep and, and takes it away from the poor man. And, and David said, kill him. Man, that's harsh. I mean, that, that's, even, that, that's even beyond what the law called for. The law didn't say kill a thief. The law said make a thief, make restoration. But boy, David, now he's king. Why was he so fierce? Because he had a shepherd's heart. And he knew the love that a shepherd has for a sheep. David couldn't stand the thought of somebody abusing a sheep. That's a shepherd's heart. That's a shepherd's heart. Saints of God, let me tell you, a pastor knows his flock. He knows his sheep. He knows what they can handle. He knows what things become a stumbling block to them. And so he's got to have the ability to set some standards for that flock. They may differ, but understand they're set because the shepherd cares. Because he wants you protected. He doesn't want the wolf to destroy you. It's not about money. It's about your soul. Let's stand tonight. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord. Let's talk to him together, everyone. Let's talk to the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, come on, let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord. Don't resent the standards. Don't resent the standards. Don't fight against the standards. They're for your protection. They're to keep you safe. They're to keep the devil away from you and, and to protect the glory of God that's inside of you. A man that really cares about you is going to set some standards for your life. He's going to. And if he won't set standards, he doesn't care. Do you parents have standards for your kids? Are there things that you will let them get by with and won't let them get by with? I hope so. I hope you've got some standards. Because if you don't, 
You know, we often say, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not Bible. That's Ben Franklin. And Ben Franklin had some wise sayings, but he was a heathen in a lot of ways, too. He really was. Some of his writings are very ungodly. The Bible doesn't say spare the rod and spoil the child. The Bible says he that spareth the rod hateth his son. There's a big difference. And if there's never the application of the rod, then there is no love. Time to time, a pastor's got to get out the rod. And remember what David said? Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. There's a comfort. There's a comfort in knowing that there's a rod. Because that rod means the shepherd loves me. He wouldn't use it if he didn't love me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Praise God. Why don't we thank God one more time, can we? Let's thank Him, church. I'm not going to ask you to come around the front. I just want you to thank God. Thank God that there are some standards. Whether you understand them or not, thank God they're there. They're for your protection. They're for your good spiritually.